Welcome to the Fairway Performance Podcast. My aim for this podcast is to have conversations and self-recorded episodes like this one to help you improve your golf game, your fitness, and your health. And I'm your host, Sean Dykoff. Today's episode, I'm going to talk about three of the biggest mistakes that I see when people want to undergo their swing speed training journeys. And It's becoming quite a common thing in golf and fitness at the moment, and we're seeing lots of the professionals, and in particular Bryson in recent years, and this year, namely Rory McIlroy, who's topping in at the mid to high 180s ball speed for most of his drives, uh, average drives across the, the week of a tournament, and a lot of amateurs are starting to jump in and want to start with being able to hit the ball further. This has also been magnified and pushed harder because we see people like uh, Scott Fawcett, who talks with Decade Golf, and we also see people like Mark Brody writing books called Every Shot Counts, which are promoting hitting the ball further and being and having the stats to back up being closer to the green off the tee each time is going to help you lower your scores. So there's a, a bit of a drive and a hunt for everybody to be trying to hit the ball further so that they can uh, obviously decrease their handicaps and, and shoot better scores. So uh, with that in mind, I, I just wanted to talk about these three mistakes and just give people a heads up and some uh, back, you know, uh, back of house information, I guess you could say, that I see a lot of, and and they're the mistakes that I see people make most commonly because they come to me wanting to help them with their swing speed journeys, uh, or they do a swing speed challenge with me, or that's the main goal of them actually training. Like they don't care about the health and fitness component; they just want the speed to translate to the course which is where they're going to see the performance benefits so with that in mind the first mistake that i see people make is they think that speed training just means that they need to go to the range and just hit balls as hard as they can now this is one component to it because we obviously need to learn how to translate the extra capacity like the speed power strength that we build in the gym And we need to teach our bodies how to do that in the golf swing. And that can only really be done by doing the golf swing more often and and doing more swings and hitting more balls to actually realize that potential and and use that power, speed, and extra strength that we're building in the gym. So I don't disagree that that's not something that you need to incorporate in your training, but I see people do it as the sole thing to increase their speed. So what are a couple of lessons that we can learn here? The first one is we need to take a two-tier approach to building speed when we're doing things uh, in the gym. And that can be overspeed training and overload training. So overspeed training is where we use something like the speed sticks or more recently I've been using a, a tool which I think is better than the speed sticks which is called the rip stick. And the, the rip stick is my favorite tool currently because I can just carry the one stick and it has removable weights in the head that I can just utilize to, to do all the three different sticks that you need for the speed sticks. Uh, with one training program, uh, with one um, with one stick, so it's much handier for me to carry around. I took it to Bali on a recent trip with me, and it's super handy to have in the bag to do some warm ups with. Uh, obviously, to do my speed training uh, and also do some mobility in the hotel at night time or in the mornings before I actually go and play golf, just to use that stick. So, um, and I also use it as a 
a um, alignment stick too when I was on the range, which was which was helpful too. I didn't have to take my alignment sticks with me. Now, the the overspeed and overload. So overspeed when we're using these speed sticks is we're trying to use something that is lighter than the implement that we swing, which is namely our driver. And by using something that is lighter than what we're currently swinging, it means that we should be able to swing it a little bit faster. So we're teaching our body to move more quickly than what we would if we were to swing the driver and try and hit it harder. So uh, the, the sports like baseball have used this before where they'll have pitchers throw, and don't quote me on the numbers here because I'm an Australian, I, I don't know what the weight of a baseball is, um, but I believe it's around like between like five and 10 ounces. So if they're throwing something that's you know between that weight, if they were to throw something that was say two to four ounces, they should be able to move more quickly because it's a lighter load than they're used to. So their body should be able to move a bit faster. Just like you would be able to squat uh, an empty barbell faster than you could squat something, you know, 20 or 30 kilos per side or 20 or 30 pounds per side on the barbell, uh, it's, it's obviously going to move slower. So uh, this over speed training is just teaching our bodies to move that much more quickly. And it's training our fast twitch fibers and, and getting them developed and, and firing faster and teaching the brain to connect to the muscles more quickly. Now, that is one aspect to it. And the next aspect, so a lot of people will use their their swinging at the range in order to do that, which is fine. Um, they're just swinging faster than they normally would on the course, which sure, it will develop a little bit of extra speed and they'll be able to wind back what they're doing on the range for when they go to the course and still probably hit the ball further. But if we follow a more measured approach in the gym, then we could get more benefit from it. The next one is overload training. So overload training is where we use a heavier implement. And in the gym setting, you'll see people use cable machines, they'll use bands, or we'll use medicine balls or slam balls as a tool for this. And essentially what we're trying to do is use an implement which is heavier, and in these instances, much heavier than what our golf club is so that we are really overloading the movement. So we're still trying to move with as much intent and force and power as possible, but due to the implement being really heavy or much heavier than a golf club, we're obviously not able to move as fast. But what studies have shown is that if we do this and we're trying to move quickly with a heavy load, we're actually recruiting more muscle or more motor units, so more motor units in the muscles, and we're also recruiting recruiting fast twitch muscle fibers in order to try and do that. So we're still training speed and power, but we're just doing it in a different way. And what you'll find is that some people will be really uh, predisposed genetically to do one or the other really well. And for me, I'm really good at the overspeed training because of the sports that I've played, uh, namely volleyball, basketball, and also golf as a young kid. And that's just helped me become a more explosive person. So the overspeed training is where I, I really shine and I can do really well. And the overload training is really hard for me. And what you might find is that um, also certain um, races and nationalities are, are really good with this too. So if we look at certain sports and certain athletes, we can look to the NBA. And there's a lot of explosive elements in that with fast twitch fibers and agility and moving fast. And we see a lot of African-Americans excel in this um, because of their genetics. And then we also see 
um, you know, longer distances for, for like Ethiopian athletes, um, they're, they're better genetically disposed because of their environment um, to handle the altitude and the distance running. So um, depending on where you live, what your race is, what your nationality, there might be all these different sorts of things that uh, come into consideration for you and to which one you will be better at. And if we know which one we're good at, then we can focus more on the one that we're not so good at in order to drive our overall performance up. So uh, that's just a little bit of background information there. Uh, so and a, and a bit of overspeed versus overload training. So hopefully that made sense. And if you want to learn more about that, I've done a previous podcast where I talk a little more in depth in that uh, as to uh, what you know you can do for sets and reps and that type of thing it's one of one on uh, one of the previous episodes so you can go back and listen to that the next uh, lesson that comes from going and just hitting balls at the range as fast and hard as you can is um, that our mobility needs to be up to speed and our strength through that range of motion needs to be up to speed so if we're just going to go straight to the range and not improve our strength or our range of motion then we're probably going to start to run into problems and break down. So we don't want to just suddenly increase the volume significantly um, because that's going to lead to some dramas, um, which is what is leads me to mistake number two, which is doing too much too quickly. And I see overuse injuries or strains are the most common thing here with a sudden increase in volume, uh, which is like repetition or amount of shots or amount of hard swings. Uh, And generally it's to do with grip strength. So uh, we see golfer's elbow, wrist injuries, uh, lower back injuries because of the sheer forces and, and golfers trying to move faster and rotate faster without actually strengthening their core muscles and their acceleration and deceleration muscles. So we and by acceleration and deceleration what i mean there is uh, training both sides of the body so rather than just training a golf swing which is potentially what you would do if you just go to the go uh, to the range and you just hit golf balls if we go to the gym and we train both sides of the body then we're building a bit of symmetry back into the body and we will generally find that people will get less injured by building symmetry in the body versus having one side much stronger than the other where we start to run into dramas. Uh, And again, if you want to learn more about that stuff, then you can go back to that same episode that I was talking about just a a minute ago and I'll describe unilateral versus bilateral training and that type of thing which will help with that. Now, some uh, lessons that we can learn from uh, doing too much too quickly is we can plan a a gradual increase. So again, this comes down to increasing volume at a rate which is slightly overloading the body, but not overloading it too much. So in a general gym program, a way that we would do this is week one, we would do three sets of eight squats. Week two, we would do three sets of nine squats. Week three, we would do three sets of 10 squats, etc. until we reach 11, 12, Uh, or more reps however many we want to get to and then so keeping the weight the same but increasing the volume and then what we would do is we would go back down to the sets of eight so three sets of eight and we could do a few things from there so we could go four sets of eight and keep the weight the same so we're adding volume that way or we could add some weight and do three sets of eight. So starting where maybe the first time through when you got to the three by 10 in the third week, 
we would use that weight and we would start at three by eight using that weight that you used for 10 reps previously so that we get more volume with heavier weight and we're just slowly increasing that over time. <clears throat> so that's just a, a slow gradual way to increase it. And I feel the main reason people run into problems with this slow approach is that obviously the results take a little bit of time to build in. They're, it's not an instant gratification type thing, so it can be really hard to subscribe and stick with the process and actually see you know small marginal gains consistently long term and fall into the trap of just wanting to have the results yesterday. So just remember, if you do it too quickly or there's too much volume too quickly, that's where we'll start to run into problems and you will probably end up injured and you'll spend a lot of money on seeing a physio, a chiro or some sort of health practitioner, um, even someone like myself who can screen you and figure out how to build that um, part of the body back up bigger and stronger to, to not have that happen again. <clears throat> now the next thing is um, mobility and strength work or the next lesson I should say is mobility and strength work are just as or if not even more important at the outset than actually swinging a club faster. So uh, doing too much too quickly obviously will run into problems but if we're before we start doing that we spend a few weeks just building the base of strength and mobility before we actually start increasing the volume significantly then what we're going to find is our body is actually able to, or the body's capabilities exceed the demands of what the golf swing is putting on it, which tends to lead to significantly less injuries. Now, it doesn't always work like that. Uh, there can be, uh, if we talk about injuries in, in two different uh, categories, we can talk about overuse injuries or what they call RSI or repetitive strain injuries and they're things that are from too much volume done consistently so you can think of like golfer's elbow uh, you know and and uh, oh, what's another example um, just something where like if a box packer was you know lifting up a box turning to their right and placing it down and, and like straining their side or their back uh, just from turning consistently that direction, that would be something like a repetitive strain or, or repetitive uh, injury versus the other type of injury, which is an acute injury. So this is where we would, um, if we were to hit a ball off a tree root and we were to hurt our wrist because we were hitting a golf ball off a tree root and it was sudden and just happened straight away, that is something that's acute. Um, or if you think about a a football player, uh, so a football player, what I mean is someone who plays NFL or, or gridiron or in Australia it's uh, rugby union or rugby league and they or AFL and they get tackled in the side of the knee and their knee blows out and they do an ACL and MCL or something like this. That is obviously a, an acute injury because it's not something that has happened over repetition, it's just something that's happened once. And these acute injuries are obviously much harder to mitigate from. Uh, we can minimize them by building our bodies to be bigger, stronger, more resilient than what the sport demands of us. But there's always a risk of those happening. What I am saying here with building the mobility and the strength and doing that before we start the swing speed is so that our muscles and tendons and ligaments can handle the volume that we're going to put them through and they don't start to strain as the repetitions and the volume increases. So uh, that's what I mean there. Now, the third thing, uh, the third mistake that I see people fall into is they don't stick to a program. And 
this can be from multiple things but essentially results won't come if you're not consistent with workouts and if you are just doing random workouts here and there you're going to get random results and you might get results for a week and then you stop doing it and then you subscribe to something else and you start getting results there then you stop Um, and so that can be jumping between programs or jumping between exercises on Instagram. Uh, I get it a lot from my Instagram. People will message me and say, hey, I've incorporated this exercise and I've done this. And my question to them most of the time is, oh, what else does your program look like? Or what else have you been doing? And they might have literally just added that one exercise for a couple of days, seen some benefit and then stopped doing it. Or they might consistently do it, but they're building some mobility through rotation but they're not doing any strength work through rotation so this is where it's important to follow a program because someone like me has spent countless hours testing iterating guinea pigging on myself and and making sure and you know also using the hundreds of subscribers that i have to my app for feedback and seeing that they're getting results for different Uh, levels that they are at with their training whether beginner intermediate or advanced and what programs are working for what people with the goals and and results that they are after and I know what's going to work with certain people so it's a matter of sticking to that and following through and doing the whole thing because that's where results will come the other thing is can uh, it can be is not sticking to the sets and reps that are required in the program so I've had this over the years where I've programmed maybe speed and power work for some clients, which generally falls into the range of four to six or even up to uh, maybe three to six or seven reps, depending what the exercises are. And there's a reason we do this is because the output can be really high, which is what we need. We need the speed of the movement to be high if we're working for power or the intent to be high if if we're trying to work on that and the body to be using fast twitch muscle fibers and we're not breaking into a different energy system except for the ATP energy system if you're a bit of a energy system geek like me or or a sport and exercise science geek like me you understand what the ATP energy system is is literally the short explosive bouts of uh, power or output and it's utilized by energy within the the bloodstream and only lasts for a, a matter of like 15 to 30 seconds potentially And this is where we get the highest output in terms of intensity and power. And once we start breaking through that and moving into a glycolytic energy system or to an oxidative energy system, our intensity is significantly less and our power output is significantly less because we need that energy system to drive us for longer. So um, that's a, a long way of saying, essentially, that you need to stick to the reps and the sets that are given in a program because they're there for a reason. And the biggest trap that most people fall into when they're changing the sets and reps is they'll do three sets of four box jumps or five sets of four box jumps, whatever the protocol requires, and they'll use a really low box or something that's not really challenging them for four reps, and they'll feel that it didn't challenge them for four reps, so they'll say, oh, I should do four more reps because they feel that will be better for them, whereas in a programmer's mind or in my mind as a fitness coach and someone who has studied the effects of the different stimulus on the body and and what adaptations that will drive is I'll, I'll tell that person like you need to be doing only four reps but you need to like one and a half times the height of the box you're jumping on or even double the height of the box that you're jumping on because it's too easy 
you don't need to rest for a couple of seconds and refocus and think and try your hardest to get on top of the box a second time. So it's not challenging you enough in terms of trying to be as explosive as possible, trying to jump on top of that box. Uh, the same goes for if you're doing the swing speed training with the ripstick. Uh, if you're you know, only swinging at maybe 120 miles an hour with a lightest one, and then the middle one, you're still getting up around 118, 120 miles an hour, and then the heavy stick, when you put all the weights in there, you're still getting 115 to 120 miles an hour. There's a real problem there. The, the lighter stick, you're just not swinging it as hard as you can because we we should be moving that one significantly faster and there's you, you may be holding back there or you're trying to conserve energy for the, the later sticks which you know are heavier and are harder um, but we need to be putting out as much as we can in each rep for, for that type of exercise. Now <clears throat> the other thing is so the, the lessons that we can learn from from that is if you subscribe to a program then you need to stick to it through the course of it. And there's multiple reasons for that. There's the fact that we need to progressively overload movements, uh, but there's also just the effect of compound interest. And we all understand this, and it's been said to be the eighth wonder of the world, uh, compound interest, is that we know that you know on day one, we might not see that much benefit, but then when we do it the next week, we start to see more benefit, and then the next week, we see more benefit, and then the next week, we see more benefit, and over the course of 10 to 12 weeks of doing that, you may go, f- it might not be significant in the amount that you progress every week, but 12 weeks of compounding benefit each week will look significantly different from where you started to where you finish. And that is the reason that we stick with and we be consistent with these things in the gym because we know that if we do something for long enough, we'll continually make progress. But at a certain point that the returns will start to diminish. And when the returns start to diminish, the coach then needs to recognize that or have built into the program a couple of different things. One could be a deload week which involves decreasing the volume and intensity of the movements and doing stuff which is more akin to, say, active recovery or something where you're doing more repetitions and just moving the body through a large range of motion and getting some blood flow and just keeping everything limber but deloading the body and deloading the central nervous system from all the power and the strength and the speed and the the high output that you've been trying to do and, and trying to push yourself and and break through barriers the whole time so there's either that or they need to slightly change the movements and add variance to it and what i mean by this is instead of just doing back squats again for another cycle we do a cycle of say back squats for 8 10 12 weeks or whatever the amount of time is and then we move on to like a deload week and then after that we move to front squats and what we know about that is that the loading of a front squat on the body is going to change how we brace it's going to change how we hold our hands on the barbell it's going to change the position of the barbell on the body Uh, i just know that a front squat is going to be less weight on the body because the the position of the barbell just forces us to not be able to lift as much weight like we're always going to be able to back squat more weight than we can front squat and changing or tweaking the 
stimulus that we put on the body so that we can still keep driving adaptations. Now, that's not to say that our squat won't improve by lifting lighter weights. What it will do is it'll strengthen up our core because there's a bit more core demand in a front squat than there is a, a back squat just because it's pulling you forwards and, and the body has to brace in a slightly different way. And then the next thing with that is when we go back to back squatting, we'll probably notice a, an increase in the amount of weight that we can back squat just because we've been squatting still and we've been learning to brace in a slightly different way and strengthening a potentially weak area that we had before, but now it's stronger. Now, the it's a bit of a long-winded way of saying stick to a program long-term, um, but I just wanted to give a, a little bit of an example there as to why we do it and the sort of thought process for a coach like me when we you know write something like that up and we're using a front squat after we've used back squats and then from front squats we might move to overhead squats or we might move to box squats or we might move to safety bar squats there's so many different variations and things that we can modify and change the stimulus in to still drive results and adaptations over time um, it's why I've still managed to maintain my strength or gain strength at certain times, even though I've been training for most of my adult life since I was 17 or 18 and I'm now 35 uh, and I can still squat just as much as I did or actually a lot more than I did when I was 18. Um, maybe not as much as I have when I'm at my peak of strength and fitness, but still significantly heavier than when I was younger. And it's because of all that repetition, consistency in the volume and, uh, and changing the stimulus at times where I start to notice stagnation or plateaus and keep driving through that. So I really hope that just describing those three different mistakes and, and just a little bit about them and what you need to consider with them uh, helps you guys out. And just to recap on them, uh, mistake number one is the thinking speed training means you just hit balls as hard as you can all the time. Uh, mistake number two is doing too much too quickly and seeing overuse or strains and injuries. And mistake number three is not sticking to a program because results are not going to come if you're not consistent and you do random workouts. You're going to get random results from that. If you stick to the sets, the reps, the program, and if you ever have any problems with it or you feel it's not doing enough for you, rather than modifying it and changing it yourself, talk to someone who knows and understands them and you know, reach out to me on Instagram or send me an email. Uh, my email is sean at fairwayperformance.com and I'll happily help or you know, refer you to one of my programs and, and you can jump on and have a, a free trial of my app and just see how, exactly how I program and and understand or, or maybe even ask questions and start to understand why things are programmed the way they are because with a little bit of knowledge it will really help you uh, I, I really find that when people have a bit of an understanding about why they're doing something it makes it really easy to stick to it and be consistent with it so uh, and that's exactly my hope from you listening to this podcast is that with a little bit of knowledge and understanding, you're actually like, oh, okay, cool. Well, my coach has given me X, Y, Z to do. Um, it doesn't feel hard enough, but Sean said to make it a higher box or heavier weight or whatever it is. Um, maybe I'll try that and see how that goes, get some feedback from whether it worked or it didn't, and then move on from there using that feedback or, or changing it slightly. So um, anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, we've already gone for you know, 27 minutes now, so hopefully there's been a lot of takeaways in there for you. Um, I would really love if you could, because the podcast is still growing and I'm still getting the name out there with this podcast, I'd really love it if you guys could either leave me a review on iTunes or subscribe and leave me a review 
uh, or a five-star rating on Spotify uh, because the more of you that do that, the more people get to listen to that and the more golfers I can help, which is my end goal with doing this whole podcast and spending the time and investing the time in doing it for you guys. So the more you help me with that, the more episodes I'll be able to pop out and help you guys more with your golf game, your fitness, your health um, and performance on the golf course. So I hope you guys enjoy and I'll see you on the next episode.